Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The New York Jets select Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU. everybody welcome back to the turn the jets podcast i'm your host will parkinson at will 11 on twitter instagram and tiktok joined by uh by a special guest today somebody uh somebody i think anybody that listens to this podcast is very familiar with damian woody uh obviously former jet patriot lions football champ uh you know damian woody on socials damian how you doing today i'm good man how you doing I'm good. It's been a uh, crazy day. I thought today we were going to get a little bit of a break from uh, from news. Obviously, we did not. I guess we could kind of start there. Um, I know we kind of just talked about this, but I'll, we'll start there. Obviously, it's kind of the talking point. Um, I saw Tyreek Hill, you know, potentially, you know, wanting out. And I honestly thought, you know, leverage. He obviously is going to get re-signed. This, is, this will be kind of cleaned up by the end of the day. I actually texted DJ. I'm like, there's no chance this is happening. And then I see the Jets and the Dolphins are involved. And I became very intrigued and obviously it kind of came down to it I did some digging myself I'm sure everyone did the Jets were very much in it and obviously Tyreek Hill ended up making the decision to go to Miami but the Jets were very involved and um, what were your initial reaction when you saw Tyreek Hill on the block and then all of a sudden you see the Jets are involved were you surprised or were you were you excited just like I think everybody else was well when Schefter tweeted it out initially I was like holy cow like you know we talk about Tyreek Hill you know, the argument can be made. Tyreek Hill is a top 10 player in this league. Um, you know, one of the most explosive players that we've seen uh, in this league in, in quite some time. And, you know, to see that basically the finalists were the Jets and the Dolphins, you're like, wait a minute. This is what this is what Joe Douglas has been building towards this moment right here, acquiring all these assets. Remember early in the offseason, you know, in the press conference, he talked about this being a possible, a very real possibility of trading for trading for a player. And so I'm thinking, like, wow, like this is this is sorry about my dogs in the background, but um, you know, we were just talking about like this is this is the moment right here. And the Jets have all the draft capital, they got cap space. And the one thing I, one thing I wanted to point out was the fact that. All the Jets' contracts that they've been signing in free agency, they've all were pushed into 2023, leaving the Jets with more cap space in 2022. And so I'm like, okay, here it 
it's the moment of truth, right? This is the moment of truth. And um, I, I'm pretty sure, I know for a fact, Joe Douglas put together a, a really good offer that does, that didn't even include the, the two first round picks, <laughs> which would, it would have been just amazing if that trade, if he had pulled off that trade. But clearly you see um, from this whole ordeal today, what the priorities are moving forward for the Jets. They're going to draft a playmaker, maybe even two. I don't even know. But that's you, you kind of got a glimpse of that with, the, with this whole trade that fell through for Tyreek Hill. Yeah, it's interesting. I think two things that stood out. One, um, I think we I think everyone gets excited whether you play in the league, whether you cover the league, whether whoever you are that oh, these guys have cost more than they do. I think we're seeing this offseason contracts and how tradable your contract is and where the leverage is more than ever is kind of determining your value, right? We've seen Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams go for basically two late round one picks and two twos essentially. And they're two of the top, you know, however you rank them guys in the league. And I think, um, you know, when you need to be extended, that's why to keep in mind for people that keep asking me about DK Metcalf, he's not going to go for what you think just because he needs to be extended. So you have to have the money to do so. Um, it is disappointing that, you know, the Jets were not able to come away with Tyree Kill, especially knowing, you know, that could have taken away. Now you could have filled edge and O-line or edge and corner, whoever you want to do it, um, at, you know, at four and ten. But if my, he wants to go to Miami, there's nothing that the Jets could do, um, you know, really about that, unfortunately. Um, you know, they do not play in New York City, I think, as you know better than everybody. You know, Brandon Marshall used to take his helicopter to practice from the city. So, um Kind of transitioning a little bit to some more positive stuff that's obviously happened, you know, over the last, I guess, 10 days or so here. Um, I've liked a lot of the ads. I don't think they've, you know, blown anyone out of the water, but I think there's some more foundational ads and guys that can walk in, you know, day one as starters. Is there any moves that kind of stand out to you as you were more excited about than others? Obviously, it's been some nice stuff across the board, so I don't want to hit every single, you know, obviously all seven, eight, nine signings. Yeah, um, I mean, I like... I thought the Jets did a tremendous job across the board. I'm really fascinated with the two tight ends. I really am. I, I think that it's going to be huge for the Jets in this offense because remember, Mike LaFleur, he that's the offense he really wants. He really wants to run that 12 personnel, that one back, two tight end, two wide out, you know, type of offense because it gives you so much flexibility as far as, you know, aiding in the run game not only aiding in the run game, but it also makes the defense declare what type of personnel do they want to play. Okay, if you want to line up with big people, guess what? We can exploit you in the passing game. So it gives you that flexibility to have two tight ends that can, you know, legitimate starting tight ends, I might add you, that can go out and be weapons in the passing game, people that can play, you can flex them out. But finally, finally, the Jets have, tight ends that can threaten the middle of the field because that's really the one thing that's been lacking for basically a decade with the Jets offense they haven't had tight ends to really threaten the middle of the field so I'm really excited about the, the two tight end addition that the Jets uh, acquired in free agency yeah me someone that played tight end um I'm obviously very excited to see what's going to happen here um I also think something that I know Connor Rogers pointed out I think uh, earlier today we're talking about like it They've never, they haven't been too deep somewhere in a long time. And, you know, you obviously don't want anything to happen. I think you've been more, I think you've talked about this more than anybody, but like they don't stay, they have not stayed healthy in a long time, regardless of, you know, they haven't been good, but they also haven't been healthy. And 
Um, God forbid CJ Uzama goes down for three weeks. You're not, you know, shit out of luck for lack of a better term and down to Ryan Griffin and Daniel Brown again. So, um, you know, we talk, I know you talked about this a lot and, you know, Lincoln Tomlinson's obviously the big, you know, kind of the big money guy, right. And he's, you know, proven pro bowl guard and as someone who kind of came over pretty similar points in your career, I think he's going to his age 30 season. I don't know. Maybe you're going to the age 29 or 30 season, but um, kind of came over in a similar aspect of 2008. You guys obviously, you know, did well. And then 2009 kind of, it all came together. Um, are you more excited about the possibility of, you know, him on the offensive line or slightly concerned about the fact that, um, you know, he did play right guard in college. I think we have to remember that, although that was a little while ago. Are you concerned at all about him moving to right guard? Are you just kind of excited that they've solidified both guard spots now with him and ADT? No, I'm, I'm excited about it. And I think, um, you know, the one good thing about him coming over is the fact that um, he doesn't have to worry about learning the system. He's coming in, and yes, he's going to go from left guard to right guard, but that's just muscle memory and reps. He doesn't have to worry about learning the offense. They speak the same language as far as Mike LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, and that offense. So that should be a seamless transition as far as, you know, playbook and all those type of things. And just get just working on getting the reps at right guard. But, I mean, I'm looking at this just off his line. I think they're the best line in the division. Um, and I think this just off his line has the potential. And I hate using potential, but they have the potential to be one of the top groups in the National Football League if they stay healthy and they just got to have they got to have continuity because everyone across the line are very talented players. If they can stay healthy and play together, this could be a devastating group. Yeah, I'm on the same page as you. I think something that, you know, we'll see more than ever. I mean, there's going to be, you know, there'll be some kinks to kind of work out during camp, and that's why it's so important. I think – even last year, right, Makai missed a good amount of time during, you know, at the end of the day, the concussion in camp and all these different things. He was coming back from the foot. ABT missed all of camp as a rookie, which no one really talks about. They're working in different starters every day. So um, if they're able to kind of mold that group, you hope you kind of hit your stride earlier than, you know, the Jets hit their stride like week 13 this year. You'd hope, you know, you can hit it by week four, week five. Um, you know, I think that'll be super important. I think you know, to balance out some of these groups, right? All these playmakers in Miami or, you know, Buffalo or a team like New England where they're going to try, you know, force turnover and stuff. Be able to run the ball is, it still works. Like, I don't care what anyone says. Um, yeah. You know, you need to be able to, you need a quarterback to be able to make throws when you need to. Like, there's no question about that. But the Niners kind of beat everybody up physically last year and they're, you know, catching an interception that should have happened, you know, three minutes later, you know, from being in the Super Bowl. And they probably, you know, they could have won that Super Bowl, right? So um, I wanted to kind of kind of touch a little bit on, um, you know, one piece you mentioned there. Brandon Thorne kind of was talking about, you know, Makai's in really good shape right now. And there's a lot of discourse on, like, you either, for some reason, you either have to be pro at Makai or anti-Makai. You can't have, like, a, a reasonable take. But um, kind of two-part question. One, are you, are you concerned at all from, like, a – um, is it just smaller edge rushers and the Carl Lawson's and stuff that are going to bother him no matter what? Or are you concerned a little bit long-term with just being a gigantic human being? And two, um, are my wrong to say him deleting Twitter would be awesome for himself just so he can stay out of, I know you use stuff as, you know, motivation, but at the same time, I do think it could be draining on guys. Yeah. Listen, I, I'm, you know, I'm a Makai Becton fan. I think that the dude has unlimited potential. Obviously, his biggest thing has been durability, right? You know, just staying on the field. You've heard the 
the whole notion of best ability is your availability. And that's really the case with Makai. I mean, it seems like a lot of Jet, you know, I'm not going to say a lot, but some Jet fans forget, like, maybe we need to go back and look at what this dude was doing his rookie year. Look at some of the pass rushes this dude went against and just absolutely stoned them. Like, it's there. Like, this dude is not a scrub. I'm Like, you just see some of the vitriol, you know, on Twitter, and, and Twitter is not the best example because you get some of the worst on that platform, but, you know, some of the people on that platform make it seem like he's a scrub, and it's like, he's far from that. His biggest thing is he's he got to stay healthy, and he's got to keep his weight under control. Those are things he understands, and I think he, he understands that this is a big off-season slash season for him. You know, this could really put, you know, it could propel him one of two ways where he's ascending and we're talking about him as one of the best offensive linemen in the league, or we're talking about him as being a bust. Like it's going to be one of those two. And I think he's, um, I think he understands that. And, and I think he's going to rise to the occasion because that is a huge chip to this puzzle, a huge piece. If Makai has come back right it's going to take this offensive line to a whole new level, in my opinion. Yeah, especially the run game. I think we, I think me, you, DJ, and Connor, maybe somebody else that are spaces right after Makai got hurt. Um, and we were like, what's, like, where's the ceiling for this team? Uh, it was after Carl Lawson got hurt. We were talking about Makai, and everyone's like, you know, he's going to be a pro bowler. He's going to be an all pro. And the fan base is now like, he sucks. Like, he's never, you know, he's never going to be good. <laughs> Do I think he's necessarily an all pro? I don't know. It's hard. That's one of the most elite things you can be in football, right? But there, and there's two of those a year. But um, if he's even remotely what he was and just a 10% better, 5% better than he was as a rookie, the Jets offensive line's in a really good spot. And the run game with the guy in AVT and the guy, um, you know, Connor McGovern, I don't love, he is, I don't know if he's the best communicator. And I think that's the one way you could upgrade. But at the same time, if you better talent around you, let's see what happens there. Um, Transitioning to some of, you know, kind of forward thinking here, obviously the Jets miss out on Tyreek Hill unless some other crazy guy that me or you have not heard on the market pops up, <laughs> which could be great. You, you know, call Minnesota and see if Justin Jefferson wants to make $50 million a year, but um, you know, they need to address edge. They need to address, probably still need to address safety and corner, obviously wide receiver. And um, you know, depending upon where you're at with Ikea Kwanu, if he's there at four, that's a debate to be had. I don't really want to talk too much about that just because, for some reason, you know, it doesn't, it feels like it doesn't really matter right now, but the receiver debate is, is interesting. Stylistically, I think me and you are on the same page that the Drake London makes a ton of sense. He's somebody that they don't have. Um, he's, he's actually a lot more athletic than I think people give him credit just because he's not a four, three guy. Garrett Wilson's a guy people like Jamison Williams, a guy, I think the jets, you know, are high on as well, obviously coming off the ACL. Do you kind of have a favorite of where they would go with, you know, these top two picks specifically at wide receiver? Because obviously there's a lot of options. And for some reason, no matter what you or me say, someone's going to disagree. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I think that, first of all, one of those two picks in the first round is going to be an edge rusher. Like, I could, you could book that basically. Like, I just don't see the Jets not picking, not having to pick up the litter as far as edge rusher is concerned. We know, like, Aiden Hudson is probably going to go number one. And then after that, it's anybody's game. It's anybody's guess after that. But if I'm going to just, if I got an opportunity to pick one of the best edge rushers, I'm taking that. Because we know that Robert Sala's defense is predicated on pressure, getting after the quarterback. So I would say that's one. 
And then two, like I would lean towards wide receiver. And I know this is a deep wide receiver class, but there's a lot of teams that need wide receivers. If you if you don't pick a wide receiver at 10, you run the risk of wide receivers getting gobbled up in the first round. Because there's, there's just a lot of wide receiver needy teams uh, in this draft. And, and there's a lot of teams now that have multiple first-round picks. So, you know, like we both said, I'm a big Drake London Drake London fan. I think he I think he's exactly what the Jets need. Um, a lot of people don't know. Like this dude is a very good athlete, basketball background. Like he he was recruited to play both football and basketball at USC. Like, and I'm not talking about some guy that, like a throw-in basketball player. Like legitimate basketball player in in um, California. So. I like the fact that this dude was a two-sport star. That translates on the football field. And it especially translates at wide receiver with his skill set, being a guy that, you know, it's almost like a power forward, right? Being able to body people up, going up and getting the 50-50 balls. That's what Zach Wilson needs in this offense. He needs a big body guy that plays above the rim. That's not Corey Davis. Corey Davis is 6'3", no. but he doesn't play above the rim. Drake London plays above the rim. And so when I look at the Jets offensively, if that move were to happen, like, to me, Elijah Moore is their, is their wide receiver one. Like, I look at him, he's Garrett Wilson. Like, they basically have similar skill sets, in my opinion. So, like, why get another guy with similar skill set when you can get a guy that complements Elijah Moore with a skill set that you really need on offense? that will help your quarterback. So that's why I'm a big proponent of, of, of Drake London. Now I know we got to see what the, the 40 time looks like. Cause everybody, that's what everybody's talking about. But I just think that his skill set fits what the Jets need. I'd be willing to bet Drake London will not be running a 40. That's just my, uh, yeah, I, listen, I, 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 that's what I'm saying. I, like if I'm him, who cares? What's the point? Yeah. Like, like how much higher are you going to go? Dra- like, you know, you're going to get drafted in the first round. Yeah, and these guys, and you know better than anybody, these guys will they'll go and work Drake London out. I think teams get those 30 visits, and, you know, they'll be able to – if they want to make Drake London run a 40 in, in middle of April, they'll he'll run it privately well, on a accelerated well, clock. Well, and, and another thing – see, another thing that helps these clubs out as well is all these college guys wear these GPS, those GPS, you know, whatever it is under their uniforms. So you can kind of get a gauge on how fast these guys are going – you know, in actual game situations. So the 40 time is like, yeah, it's nice, but I need to know what your what your speed is when you're actually playing a football game. <laughs> I need to know if you're going to get open or not. I don't really care. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, too, everything looks different. Um, Elijah is incredibly fast, but he's also five foot nine or five foot eight generously. And, you know, his strides are going to be different than, you know, a guy that's six, four, six, five. Um, you know, I was slow no matter what. So it didn't, it didn't really, it didn't really matter that I was taller. Um, you know, the, the defensive side of the ball is interesting, right? Because I think people think, you know, Oh, it's this solid scheme and it was so good in San Francisco and it is, but obviously defense is bottom line talent's going to, you know, take over no matter what, right? Like you can, you can have this great scheme, you know, better than anybody. Obviously you played with some really great, you know, defensive players. The Belichick scheme's great, but 
Ty Law beat playing corner and shutting down half the field makes it a lot easier for Mike Vrabel and all these guys to run around with their heads, uh, you know, cut off and stuff like that. So um, are you, are you satisfied with some of the moves they've made defensively or, you know, do they feel like outside of edge rusher, which I know we talked about, they need another move or two um, to really get to them, especially in this division now that's <laughs> Buffalo and Miami skills players are no joke. Actually, I am. I like what they did with uh, DJ Reed, the corner. I think he's really good. I do. I think he's really good. I think he's very confident, borderline very cocky, confident. borderline <laughs> I like cocky, that. which is, yeah, I, you at that position, you need that. And from everything that I've seen and heard, he's a, he's a very, he's a very good student of the game, studies film, and it translates on onto the field and how he plays, plays the game. And um, so I, I like I love that, and I love the um, the uh, the kid at safety they signed from the Buccaneers. Um, he's been he, I think where he's gonna he's gonna make his presence felt is in the run game, especially because we saw with the Jets they couldn't stop a nosebleed Swiss in the run cheese. game. <laughs> Swiss cheese, and now you got you know now you got a guy coming down here from a safety position that can really get after the run game. And uh, and then from there, that's where all these draft this these, this draft assets come in. You can go out, you can go get an edge rusher. They're going to go get another D. I think they're going to draft a D tackle uh, in the second round. You know because they're thin at D tackle, so they're going to have multiple opportunities to address the defensive side of the football. And this is going to be a drastically different looking just defense with the addition of Carl Lawson coming back, Bryce Huff, who should you know, who's going to be back and healthy after the back injury from last year. That defense line is going to look totally different this year. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on the same page. I think there's a real realistic chance, especially if Lawson comes back, even 80% of, you know, what we saw in camp, the Jets could go from the 32nd or 31st ranked defense, depending upon what metric you look at, to even if they're 17, 18, the difference in, you know, where that puts you and the offense climbing to 16, 17. If you're in middle of the pack on both sides of the ball, you give yourself a chance. They just can't be 32nd on one side of the ball and, and 25th. Like, that's where you get yourself in trouble. Um, I do think inside linebacker opposite C.J. Mosley needs to be – they need to add another at least body, maybe hopefully a veteran there. Um, I like Quincy's athleticism. I think it's fun some games and other games um, you put on the tape and – he chooses one gap and, and the, the ball's going in, in the other gap. And um, that's just, you know, CJ playing a lighter weight because you need to in the scheme kind of takes a little bit off of his game, which is fine, but you just need someone else that's going to be smart opposite him and, and play downhill in a good manner. Um, I want to hit on two final things here before we kind of let you go. Obviously, it's been a long day. One's kind of a debate I was getting into a little bit on Twitter today that I've gotten in before that, you know, winning culture is really, you know, is winning kind of solves all these problems and whether, you know, the Jets tax and a bad team tax and all these different things. Um, you were a part of something where, you know, you had guys that are first out Hall of Famers, whether it's Lydia Tomlinson or Jason Taylor, and there's other guys, obviously we can mention as well, but they came to ring chase in New York, right? And the, the state tax and income tax and whether it doesn't really matter because winning's all that matters, right? And you played up in New England and obviously in Detroit. How, how important is winning to culture versus, you know, the rah-rah, like, we all love each other type of stuff? Is it both, or is it, like, end of the day, you win, people uh, people fall in line? Oh, absolutely. Winning is the ultimate deodorant. It, it really <laughs> is. When you're winning, 
it covers up a lot of nonsense that people don't see behind the scenes. And, you know, I think the one thing this whole Tyreek Hill thing has taught us, uh, and I, when I talk about us, I'm speaking specifically to Jets fans, is that ultimately the Jets just need to win. They got to do it the old-fashioned way. Go out, build it methodically, win some games, and then you know what's going to start to happen? People are going to look at Jets be like, okay, they're building something over there. Like, I see the vision coming to fruition. I want to be a part of that. They're not there yet. That's why uh, Tyreek Hill goes to Miami. Now, granted, he has a home down there, no question, but that's why, you know, some guys will be like, yeah, I'm not ready to go there yet. But once they start winning, then that's when things start to take off. Guys want to come to New York and be a part of this culture because I've told everyone under the moon, when you win in this area, there is nothing like it. There's nothing like when the Jets are winning, the city is on fire. It's just a totally different animal than anywhere else in the country, in my opinion. And this is coming from a guy who won two Super Bowls up in New England. When we were winning with the Jets, those back-to-back AFC Championship game, the city was bananas. It, it was unlike anything I've ever experienced. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I think uh, I think at the end of the day, when everyone talks about winning in New York and like, I like the example of, of the Nets, right? Like I'm a Nets fan. I've been a Nets fan and the Nets were awful. Um, they're a second fiddle team in the city, similar to not the same as the Jets or, or the Mets, but obviously they, they compete with the bigger brand. And they, in the matter of the last 24 months, built a culture where they started winning a little bit. They got themselves close enough where Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden at one point and Ben Simmons all want to play here, right? They want to play in New York and they want to be a winner in New York. So um, I know Nick fans aren't going to want to hear that, but at the same time, it's just the truth. Um, Two, two, or one more actual current day thing, and then we'll just, uh, you know, kind of have one fun question. And the Patriots, to me, are one of the most confusing teams this offseason. They spent so much goddamn money, uh, you know, last year, which is fine. <laughs> and they put a successful team around their starting quarterback, and Bill was able to prove, you know, it's not just Tom. Obviously, he's an exceptional coach. This year, it's weird. It feels like, um, you know, some of the offensive lines walk. They need, you know, this team has always been built, you know, better than anybody on that those really good one-on-one man corners that kind of allow the scheme to take over and then offensive, you know, on the off other side of the ball, it's all the offensive line is always a top five group. Like no matter who's uh, it feels like no matter who's playing, this feels a little different and it feels like it's going to be hard to get away with not having strong weapons and not having a strong O-line and, and on the other side of the ball, not a great pass rusher. Judon is a really good player, but he's kind of a all around player more than like that top tier edge. Um, are you a little confused the way the Patriots have approached this offseason? I feel like they've quietly gotten a lot worse and haven't yet improved. I know the draft's coming up, obviously. Yeah, I think actually the Patriots have gone back to the Patriots, what Patriot way, where, you know, last year was like an anomaly, right? Where they went out in free agency and they made a lot of splashy moves uh, last year. Whereas this year, they kind of fell back into their old way of going about doing things, waiting for the first couple of ways to go by and then start, you know, signing guys or re-signing their own guys. So the Patriots go about, you know, go about their business um, different than a lot of other teams. But I will say this about the New England Patriots. When you don't have 12 back there, it changes things. It changes things dramatically because now everyone's looking at New England like, okay, y'all just like any other team in the league. You know, where whereas when they had Tom Brady back there, it was like, 
okay, I'm I'm going ring chasing. I'm going to New England. I'll take a, I'll, you know, I'll take a take a, a team friendly deal to go up there because I want to win. That's not the case anymore in New England. Now you look at the AFC, it's stacked. Right now, Buffalo is the king of the king of the division. Miami's making moves. Jets making moves. Like, where did, where does that leave New England? What you know? And then you look outside the division. The whole AFC West is stacked. The AFC North, like everybody in the AFC, seems like they're making moves. And New England is just, you know, just being New England. Is that going to be enough? I don't think so. Yeah, I think we're Tampa Bay was about to find out, and then you know Tom had to. Tom got sick of uh, two weeks of <laughs> two weeks of being a normal person. Um, you know, it's a lot different. I think Green Bay would have found that out lesson really hard. And all these different teams, I think you can't be like the quarterbacks, the most important position in sports. And then they lose guys that are like one of ones and then think it's going to be the same. Um, I don't think that has anything to do with Mac. I just think even Tom, <laughs> I think, you know, this better than anybody, even, you know, early on, he's don't want to give Tom a lot of credit. You know, he still got it done when it mattered. And um, you know, that's why he obviously grew into the player. He was last fun one. I'll finish up with this one. I'm going to exclude Darrell from this conversation because I think he's the obvious answer here. If you could add one player from, you know, I guess we'll go 2010 team just because it's probably the most talented of the bunch. One player offensively and one player defensively to help this Jets team make a playoff run this year. Who are you adding from that team? <laughs> wow. Chris Jenkins is yeah. allowed to be healthy. So <laughs> uh, let's see. From Let's see. One offensive and one defensive. Um, boy, that's a good question. I don't know my answer. Uh, that's a really good. That's a really good question. Let's see. Offensive. Nick Mango. I give me Nick Mango on offense, and then on defense. Uh, give me. Give me Antonio Cromartie. All right, there we go. I was I was curious. I mean, Darrell would have been obviously. It's hard. He can't really. I'm gonna take the whole. Yeah, I mean that's the best. Yeah, I can't take the yeah, first foul Hall of Famer and put him in there. It makes it a little bit a little difficult. Yeah, I mean that's that's the obvious one, but if, excluding uh, Darrell, give me give me Cromartie. Yeah, I mean, look, if they Cromartie DJ Reed as your corners, uh, you know, would would not be such a bad thing. And offensively, I'm sure you can make a case for, you know, a few of you guys that you know obviously are part of that offensive line group. As much as I love San Antonio and Braylon, I don't know that they uh they are that much, you know, I'm not sure how much different they would have been than some of the some of the stuff that's uh, you know, kind of here. But obviously appreciate you kind of hopping on. Obviously, um, you know, it's been a crazy, uh, crazy 10 days. But, um, <laughs> you know, I was hoping I, I texted you before. I was hoping that uh, I was hoping the Tyreek Hill thing happened. I was like, this is pretty cool. timing. Oh you know, like, that would have been that would have been a nice. Uh, that sort of would have exploded. If, if that if that would have happened, there would have been like Twitter would have shut down. Like I think Jeff fans would have shut Twitter down. It would have literally exploded. <laughs> Because Jeff fans have been wait, they've been waiting for like like that big big move, and it, you know, let's Joe D almost pulled it off, man, without, without giving, giving up, up a one, <laughs> without giving up a one. Like, imagine getting Tyreek Hill and throwing that Kansas City two twos and a in a three. Like what? Like that's crazy. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's wild, and like I'm, I've been pretty hard on Tyree Kill. That's me off the field stuff that I'm not a huge fan of. But obviously, on the field, it's hard to argue with how he's one oh, of the most dynamic yeah. players, uh, you know, in the league. And I think it's uh, it's just funny the coping that went on right after he got moved. It's like, oh, Tyree Kill actually <laughs> sucks, and he's too old, and he's going to retire in Miami and all this stuff. It's uh, the roller coaster that people go on is is truly incredible. But obviously, you know, um, you know, obviously appreciate hopping on and. Um, if you're not following Damien on Twitter, I'm not sure why, but Damien Woody on Twitter, obviously. And, um, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to do this again. Hopefully, uh, you know, the Jets will add some pieces and we'll, we'll get to break some stuff down, but obviously appreciate you hopping on. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate you having me so, on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn of the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaul11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by a, uh, another special guest. We've got a big episode here, Damian Woody, and now followed up with Brandon Thorne, Brandon of, uh, of Trench Warfare, Bleacher Report. I'm not sure if there's a better offensive line expert uh, out there. How are you doing today, Brandon? Doing great, man. Um, appreciate you having me and uh, just, you know, looking forward to talking some offensive line. Yeah, no, I'm excited. You know, the Jets are in a uh, – and for the first time, I think, you know, at least half a decade, um, we're not talking about a bottom two, you know, bottom two offensive line and having to rebuild five different spots. Obviously, you know, there's been a lot of investment over the last, uh, you know, 24 months, whether that be a George Fant, Mekhi Becton, um, Connor McGovern, Elijah Vera Tucker, and now Lincoln Tomlinson. Lots of money, lots of picks, and um, still potentially holes, depending upon, uh, you know, who you talk to. I guess where would you say um, – you know, you've been, you know, starting with a guy like Lincoln Tomlinson or Elijah Tucker, who are the guys that kind of stand out on this offensive line to you? And kind of where do you, you know, where do you see the Jets offensive line, I guess, kind of league wide? Yeah, um, I mean, I think the, the first guy that really stands out just based on last year was, you know, is Elijah Vera Tucker you know, coming into a second year and after a really, really impressive rookie season, I thought, uh, moving inside the left guard from left tackle at USC and yeah, man. I mean, he's the guy uh, that I think you're probably most encouraged about as a fan of the team, um, kind of like the centerpiece of the offensive line. At this point, um, you would hope that Mekhi Becton can kind of reclaim that after dealing with just, you know, the amount of injuries that he's dealt with over the first couple of years of his career. But um, I mean, I think that left side in general, I still am pretty encouraged about Becton just because you know, the, the reasons for him missing uh, time, especially last year, kind of that freak injury that happened um, and him still being pretty young, coming into the league very young. Uh, you know, I think he's just turning 23 here in the next month or so. That's the age of a, a lot of rookies coming in. Um, you know, so I still think that there's a, a really long runway for him to, you know, establish himself as a reliable and, you know, high quality starter even still. Uh, certainly the traits are there and all that. Um, so I, I still think that this left side of the line is, is the strength. Um, and now, you know, shoring up right guard uh, with Lakin Tomlinson plugs the main hole. Uh, and now, I mean, this is looking like a solid offensive line, certainly like a middle of the pack line, um, assuming Becton comes back. And if Becton comes back and he improves gradually and, you know, starts to, to, to establish himself like I like I mentioned I mean this could turn into an above average line I think I think that's feasible but yeah I mean right now worst case you know probably looking at middle of the pack um, and that's that's pretty pretty solid man definitely an improvement yeah I was just I was just kind of thinking to myself you know what's the 
what's kind of the key to take them from middle of the pack to that top 10 group? I know we kind of mentioned, we've kind of talked offline a little bit about, um, you know, a guy like Becton and obviously, you know, you still do need to get, you know, consistent performances from McGovern, uh, Tomlinson and Finn, and then have your two young guys take, take a big step. Um, you know, last thing kind of on Becton, it's, it seems like, you know, there's two schools of thought or actually three schools. One that's like, Makai Becton's fine. He'll come back. Um, you know, and, and be back to being kind of as dominant as he was, especially in the run game uh, year one. There's the school of thought it was a freak injury, but he's had some injury stuff in the past. And then there's kind of this other school of thought where it's like it's a lot more kind of mental in terms of, you know, just being a young guy and grasping, you know, what it takes to make it in the NFL and not just make it, but be this dominant player. Do you have any concerns from like a scheme perspective or anything like that, you know, of him fitting in? Um, you know, obviously as a big guy, you deal with, you know, smaller edge guys like a Carl Lawson are always going to be a problem for you. But um, do you think this scheme fits him kind of the way, you know, to be able to exercise the best of his ability or is he kind of caught in between two here? Because obviously the Jets kind of move schemes to that outside zone scheme uh, about 12 months ago. Yeah, um, I mean, just to go back on those schools of thought, those three different ones, I mean, I kind of consider myself taking a piece of each of them, honestly, I mean, I think uh, all three have some validity there. I mean, he came in young, obviously, and I think that there probably is some stuff there just in terms of maturity that needs to happen, but I don't think that's too uncommon. And it's not like, you know, too concerning of a pitfall either to me. Um, those are things that naturally I think, uh, you know, have a, a pretty good track record of kind of evening out for a lot of guys. I mean, it doesn't always happen, but it's not like a, you know, a death blow or anything to him becoming a good pro um, and the injury stuff in the past. I mean, I'm not too concerned about it, but it is what it is. He, ha he does have a couple of them. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, man, I mean, the stuff that I've learned, you know, just about him and, you know, the work ethic thing to me, I, I think has gotten overblown based on you know, the things that I've known about him since he was coming out of Louisville and just, uh, I mean, he's in the gym, you know, first thing uh, in the morning. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure just the other day, first thing in the morning, you know, 5.30 a.m. he's working, uh, you know, right now, um, you know, in the off season. I mean, he's, he's grinding. He's in great shape uh, from what I've seen. Um, you know, the knee injury, he, he added weight. He was off his feet. I mean, he's naturally a guy who gets big easy. Um, but man, we've seen him carry 360, you know, like it's nothing. Um, you know, he, the way he carries his weight is pretty unique. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not common. I don't think a lot of people can, un, can typically understand and grasp the fact that a guy could be 360, 370 and lean. Um, that's, uh, that's actually possible with him. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not too concerned about that aspect of, of him, you know, and, and all that. It's really just a matter of, you know, being healthy and, you know, stacking days on top of each other, uh, weeks on top of each other and that sort of thing and just being healthy. And I think if he does that, you know, he, he'll be fine. Um, so, yeah, uh, that that's just to kind of put a cap on Beckton there, I think. And, you know, the rest of the line and, and uh, just to touch on those guys a little bit, I mean, I think you could still upgrade, you know, you could still upgrade center in the draft. I mean, I don't think that that's out of the question. There's, you know, three, four center prospects who could at least compete with McGovern um, and potentially win the job. Um, oh, and then one more thing with Vector, I almost forgot the, the scheme question that you had. I mean, he ran wide zone in Louisville. That's all they did. 
uh, was wide zone, um, you know, in the run game. That was the primary thing. So I think it's a natural scheme fit. I mean, wide zone, you know, the idea is to create lateral displacement, um, you know, generating torque, uh, rotational force at the point of attack and widening guys as a tackle. Um, that's something that's his bread and butter. Uh, I think he'll be able to do uh, a lot of good things in the run game um, because we've seen him do that so much in college. So they were heavy zone scheme in Louisville. So I think the scheme fit is, is good there for, for Becton as well. But but yeah, as far as the rest of the line, I think center could be upgraded um, potentially, but you don't, it's not a need. You don't necessarily have to, but I think, you know, it's probably a good idea to get another young guy in there to at least compete. And then you have a quality backup, ideally somebody who could play guard as well and give you that positional versatility, um, which is very important for a backup because, you know, teams carry seven, eight guys on game day and that seventh and eighth guy, you know, if the sixth guy is a swing tackle, that's those seven and eight guys have to play multiple positions. So ideally you get a center guard guy in there that can come in, compete with McGovern, backup Tomlinson, Tucker, Barry Tucker and McGovern. Um, and then maybe think about upgrading uh, Chuma Adoga still there, right? As, a, as the swing, I guess you could potentially yeah, upgrade the, uh, that as well. The swing tackle spot right now between him and Connor McDermott is uh, it's not pretty. <laughs> I'll say that yeah. I mean, internally it's Dan yeah. Feeney is the rotational guy. So two guys who uh, probably could be upgraded in a significant way. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I would, I'd be really surprised if they don't draft at least one offensive lineman, um, you know, hopefully two, maybe three, but, yeah, I think those key backup roles, uh, swing backup tackle, swing backup interior guy, those are the spots that I would really be looking at uh, for the Jets to, to upgrade. And then maybe even more of a, you know, a big time move if they draft, you know, a guy in the top 10 or whatever, you know, to maybe play right tackle or something like that. I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot of different ways they can go, but I would expect at least a couple of guys added to the to the offensive line unit. Yeah, and I'm, I know uh, I'm biased because I've had Cole on the podcast, but Cole Strange is a guy who is a guard, that guard center long-term option mm-hmm. is a, uh, you know, guy who played a lot of heavy zone uh, in college and super smart football player. He mentioned how much interest he felt from the Jets at the senior bowl. So he's a name, I guess. I mean, he's a guy that I feel like tested a lot better than people thought. So I think he, he might end up going a little higher than I anticipated um, as much as I like him. I didn't, I think, you know, I didn't expect him to broad jump and do things uh, quite as well as he did, but um, I, you kind of gave me a nice segue there. I was going to, I want to kind of talk a little bit about two guys I know you're very familiar with um, that are, I would say pretty consistently mocked to the Jets right now, for whether it be from, you know, your colleague Connor Rogers or, um, you know, folks in the draft community have been pretty high on the Jets going with Ike Aquanu or Evan Neal. Um, at that number four spot, um, you know, if they don't go to the Jets, it's usually going to the Giants right after. But I'll touch on Charles Cross, but Aquanu is the guy that I think that's that stands out the most. He's somebody that he almost kind of is a smaller, a little bit, you know, quicker version of a guy back then in some ways, the way he is like nastiness and highlights in the run game. But where are you at with Aquanu and Neil? And um, do they make a lot of sense for the Jets at four, even if they, you know, don't move like a guy like Beckton? Is it does it still make sense? Like that could shake their line into a whole new stratosphere, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that it does make sense, uh, depending on how things shake out and all that stuff with the prior picks. But I mean, it it does. I mean, I I would assume that you would put uh one of those guys at right tackle. Um, that would be my assumption. Evan Neal has experience there. Um, Iquanu doesn't. But 
yeah, I mean, that would be the uh, my initial thought if you added one of those guys. And I think those are the two best tackles in the draft. I have gone back and forth on which one I grade higher. I mean, I've had them basically with the same grade since I submitted their grades in December, January timeframe. And I've edged or kind of hedged on Equanu being my number one guy because I felt like his ceiling was just a, a tad higher than Neil. He just had a little bit more rare traits. Um, but then as of late, I've kind of, you know, flipped that. And I, as of today, I would kind of lean Neil, but really it's a toss up. It's pick your flavor. It's, you know, how you want to build your, your offensive line, you know, the situation, the scheme, the coaching staff, all that kind of stuff is really important when you make that decision, I think, because Neil to me is a guy who, is a little bit more polished than Iquanu. Still has some stuff to clean up, but I think he is a little bit more of a sure thing initially um, with still a pretty high ceiling as well. I think he's super talented. Obviously, the traits are outstanding with him. You know, maybe not quite as explosive as Icky, but very smooth, and he's still really good, really good athlete, um, ideal size, ideal length a lot of power in the run game. I think he's really efficient in pass protection as well. He has some stuff to clean up in terms of leaning on guys in the run game, not refitting and resetting his hands quick enough to stay attached to blocks, which I know that's kind of like his number one priority with uh, training with Duke Mannyweather in Texas. Um, you know, that's like kind of the, the one area of his game that he's been working on the most. Um, it's technically correctable. We'll, we'll see if it you know, even if it's just minimized, I think that will help him greatly as a pro. But uh, so that's kind of, the, you know, how I feel about Neil. And then, you know, Iquanu, you know, it's definitely his strength is in the run game. He's he's the best run blocker in the class. Uh, you know, I think I don't really think it's that much of a conversation. Um, you know, it comes from a, a zone scheme um, at NC State, heavy wide zone. That's their primary concept that they run. So that's kind of a natural fit with the Jets. Um, you know, the thing is with him, pass protection is a little bit more up and down than with Neil. Uh, he, he gets out of it's It's not like an athletic question or foot quickness or any of that stuff. It's really just technique, set points, getting to the right landmark, not oversetting guys, not getting beat inside, you know, as often as he did on tape. Uh, and he just has more to clean up. So that's where, you know, you just have to decide like kind of which way you want to go. Do you feel like you have the right system scheme and coaching staff to kind of not only mask that in a way, but also improve that. Um, and I think the jets have a really good scheme for him. You know, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to have a lot of play action as well. You know, maybe some RPO stuff, all that kind of stuff that allows tackles to be more aggressive in pass protection and not like a true drop back system. Not that there's a lot of drop back systems in the NFL anymore, but yeah, I mean, the drop back game is where I would have concerns about Iquanu, where you know it's going to be passed, you know the quarterback um, is going to be, you know, taking at least, you know, a three step drop and he has to, you know, his back foot has to hit and he has to survey the field. I mean, that those kind of scenarios for Icky are going to be, I think, very up and down early. But if you're doing heavy play action, RPO, that kind of thing, allowing him to jump set and get on guys quick and use that, you know, use his size, his length and his strength um, and putting him in those positions, it'll kind of mask that. And then you can improve on the, the drop back, you know, over time. So, yeah, I mean, it, it really just depends on which way you want to go, like I said. But 
I, I would lean Neil a little bit more. Um, you know, he, he has that right tackle experience. But if teams want to go icky, I, you know, you ask me, you know, tomorrow I might say icky. I mean, it, it switches all the time. It really is. It all, it's, it's so contingent on all these other factors on who I would lean. But I think they're both worthy of that pick. Yeah, it's, it's going to be such an interesting thing because I feel like Neil has been at the top of people's draft boards for 24 months, basically, like this year and last yeah. year. And I think people get a little bored of guys like Neil or Thibodeau or some of these other guys who start to find holes in their game, um, even if it's slightly. And it's it's just tough because the discourse around some of these guys, it's like it's all about when you kind of hit that right momentum. Um, one other guy I wanted to just kind of quick touch – or two guys I wanted to touch – touch on quickly i'm not sure why i couldn't speak there um charles cross is pretty pretty clearly in my opinion the best true pass blocker in this class obviously some you know work to do in the run game and things of that nature um and you can talk more on that but you know trevor penning's the one other guy where i have a lot more issues with trevor penning than i guess the consensus like i, I don't have him i don't think he should be a top 15 pick based on performance i just think there's a lot of like ankle flexibility and personal fouls and all these different things that scare me. Um, am I wrong to think that that penning at six or at five or some of the places we're seeing him mocked by some of the best in the business is, is too high? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a little too, too high for me and how I see him as well. Um, you know, I've, people can read my scouting report to get like the real deep nuanced views on strengths weaknesses and stuff like that but generally um you know i think physically traits wise in terms of height weight arm length that's all ideal uh you know he tested like an elite athlete i don't necessarily see that on film i see more above average but that certainly doesn't hurt uh his prospects as a pro you know with with that you know kind of raw athletic ability there that he was able to show at the combine um, especially at, I mean, six, seven, three, twenty, whatever, three thirty. I mean, to to have the agilities that he had, and you know, the ten yard split stuff like that. It's certainly impressive, but I, you know, I'm not sure I see quite that level on tape. But but nonetheless, above average athlete, you know, worst case, um, and a lot of natural power. So he has those elements, kind of those foundational traits, all there in place that you know suggest a first round pick. But then there's just some technical stuff that I think uh, is definitely going to need cleaning up, um, you know, as he gets to the pro game. And, you know, coming from, you know, northern Iowa, smaller school, you know, maybe I feel like they were pretty well coached, especially after doing my film room with him and talking to him for an hour. I mean, the, the stuff that he was, you know, conveying to me in terms of scheme stuff and technique stuff told me that he was actually pretty well coached. So I don't know if he has that crutch of, yeah, when he gets to the NFL and gets NFL coaching, it'll get way better. I mean, I feel like he's actually gotten pretty good coaching, even though he's at a smaller school. So the issues that he has, I'm not sure how quickly they'll improve. Um, you know, and that's really, to me, it's pad level. You know, you kind of touched on some, maybe some stiffness. And uh, there, I don't know if it's necessarily stiffness. It's just he does play kind of high. Um, and he lets guys get underneath and inside of him too often. And then just his, his hand usage and pass protection uh, is definitely going to need to get cleaned up in terms of timing and placement um, and not letting guys just get inside of him and underneath him as often as he did on tape and then at the senior bowl as well. Uh, so those things are definitely going to need to get cleaned up. But, 
man, I mean, the more I learn about him when I talk to him as well, and just he definitely in terms of mentally, it has what it takes to be a pro right away. Like he's ready in terms of work ethic, preparation, football intelligence, all those things are there right now. And I, I think that's why the NFL loves him so much is because when you talk to him and when you kind of ask him to break down concepts and things like that, I mean, he's on it, he's dialed in and he's really smart. So like to pair that with everything I said, and then to have that competitive toughness, it's really easy to like kind of fall in love with him and like him a lot. Um, I still have like a fringe first round grade on him. I think that's his best value, but I can understand, you know, him going a little bit higher than that. Top 10 is just, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a little too rich for me still. But, yeah, I think it's important to kind of break it down like this and kind of give that full picture. But, you know, that's, that's how I feel about Penning. I, I do like him a lot, and I like him the more I learn about him. But I do think that there are some technical concerns there that aren't, you know, necessarily going to get fixed 100% right away. And then Cross, um, you know, he, I have him as the third best tackle in the class. His pass protection is very impressive and clean. Um, but I do think that there's a caveat there with him coming from the air raid system, which, you know, could be a little cliche, but I think that there's merit to it as well, because when you watch him on film with the air raid, one of the things that happens with the offensive line, the splits are increased. So the, you know, basically the alignments of the defensive ends that he faces are much tighter most of the time he's not seeing a ton of wide nine techniques because the splits are so so wide um so what that really means is he's seeing a lot of five techniques in pass protection and i mean you should win those reps you should look good on those reps um those guys you're able to get your hands on those guys so quickly there's not a lot of space there um and you know that was kind of the andre dillard thing you know it's like man he's so clean in pass protection but it's like, man, he came from the air raid and it's like, like he's be. getting, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you really should. So you really have to take a deep dive into his film and find those wide nine reps where guys are really far out there. And that's like NFL stuff where, you know, you watch NFL tape and guys are in wide nines all the time and you really have to set out in space and get to a set point and a landmark that's very difficult. Um, against the outstanding athlete so cross has seen really good competition which is great um, it's just the alignments I still think there's going to be somewhat of a transition period for him just because it's going to be so different in terms of how he has to set guys in the pros um, compared to what he did in college but I do think the physical traits are there to do that for sure I mean athletic ability movement skills he's very fluid and smooth and explosive all that kind of stuff, long. He, he has all the traits and all that stuff to do it. And he has a lot of impressive, not a lot, but he has impressive run blocking reps on tape. You know, I've said this for a while now, his quality, his quantity isn't very high, but I think his quality as a run blocker is certainly higher than you would think for a guy coming from the air raid scheme. And part of that is his background. He got recruited to Mississippi state in a totally different scheme. He didn't get recruited for, for the air raid. He got recruited for like a downhill power run game. And then the coaching staff changed and he had to adapt to the air raid. So he's not really like an air raid tackle quote unquote. He's more so like a downhill power run blocker that 
got thrown into the air raid system. So, you know, he doesn't have a lot of experience doing it in college, obviously. But, man, I feel like the Alabama tape is a great one to watch. I mean, he's moving guys off the ball in that game, you know, cutting off the backside with really good technique, getting out in space. And he took a dude's head off on one play. That was incredible. I mean, like, so he's physical. Um, and, you know, I think he, his play strength is pretty good, too. So, yeah, I mean, I like Cross a lot, man. I mean, I, uh, I think because of some of the adjustments that are going to need to be made, that's why I have him as a third tackle in the draft, but I have a, like a, a bona fide first round grade on him. I think his ideal value is like middle of the first, but you know, I could see him going top 10 or middle of the first round, you know, somewhere in there. And yeah, I mean, so he's a really interesting prospect though. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll finish, uh, you know, we'll finish with this. I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement with you. Obviously in the playoffs, we saw the, the Niners, you know, get funky and basically run power with, with Trent Williams coming across cross face and it was fun to watch. If there was one lineman you can this year um, that, you know, what team that could run that and copy them and you could see a player not named Trent Williams run, run that play. Who is, uh, who's the guy for you that would be the best would be must watch TV. I feel like Jordan Mailata has got to be up there. That guy is an absolute monster. So guys that are in the NFL now, basically, in the, eh, it could be, it could be a rookie, I guess that's coming in. I feel like Icky's got to be up there now. Yeah, if it was a rookie, it's definitely Icky just because, you know, I think he's the best run blocker in the class and he has those kind of shades of Trent Williams, you know, especially in space. Um, I kind of see Icky more like a Jason Peters kind of guy just because his stature is more like Peters, you know, more of a shorter guy and and, and bigger. But, um, but yeah, I mean, rookie-wise, it'd be Icky. And then another pro, I mean – Teron Armstead would be high up there. We've seen him do a lot of similar stuff to, to Trent Williams over the years. I mean, I, I still think he has the, the fastest 40 time of all time, um, you know, for offensive line. And uh, not that that's always translatable to how, you know, fast a guy plays on the field. But I think for Teron, it has been. He's obviously obviously had a lot of injuries that has kind of diminished some of that over the years. But nonetheless, man, I still think he's a dominant run blocker. and man he he could do some really special stuff so yeah I feel like Tehran would he, he's one of the first guys that I think of to kind of fill that role and I think we'll get to see him do that this year with the Dolphins in a Shanahan-esque scheme so it should be fun yeah it's interesting I feel like no one really talked about him signing yesterday for like what I felt like was below market value um yeah. and I know we got caught up in the Tyreek Hill stuff but um Armstead being healthy for at least 15, 16 games next year, uh, I think is almost more important than Tyreek because their offensive line has been a disaster, but obviously appreciate, you know, you hopping on the pod and um, you know, we'll have, we'll have to do it again after we kind of actually figure out who's going to be playing offensive line for the jets and um, you know, some other teams and where these guys end up, but obviously continue, you know, if you're not following Brandon, I'd be surprised, but obviously, you know, his work at Bleacher Report, um, trench warfare, the line mastermind stuff. I mean, it kind of the list goes on. I'm not sure there's anyone really better in the, better in the business right now to talk offensive line and whether it's rookies guys in the pros. So um, I believe it's Brandon Thorne NFL, you know, on, you know, on socials and stuff like that, but, you know, obviously appreciate you coming on and uh, yeah, no, it was fun. I'm glad we, uh, glad we got to talk a little back to the Navy T, but also hit some, uh, hit some of these rookies. 
absolutely man it's it's cool to to do this after talking like we did at combine and stuff like that it, it's it's cool to be able to do this I, and go more I know, everyone's talking about watson and wilson me and you are just sitting with beers just talking about offensive line for two hours so uh right. <laughs> not i uh, appreciate it and um yeah we'll uh we'll be back next week guys ryan clark will be on um but you know continue to uh continue to follow subscri uh, subscribe and um you know i'll talk to you guys next week